The Gospel reading today comes from Matthew 21, 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt beside her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Um, happy Palm Sunday. I don't, I don't know if that's a thing we say, but happy Palm Sunday. Um, I'm Shauna, and uh, it is an honor to be with you in the loosest possible term uh, way of being with today. Um, I know it's weird for all of us to be gathering in this way, but everything's weird right now. And so uh, I'm happy to be with you digitally across the, dis across the distance. I know so many members of the Trinity Grace community are not in New York right now. We're not in New York right now, but Aaron and Henry and Mac and I pray for this church community every day and for the city every day. And um, we love being a part of this church and a part of this city. And we look forward to a day that we can all be together in the same place again. Until that time, though, our love and our hearts are with you in every way. One of the ways that we often begin this section of our church gathering is with a moment of presence. And uh, to be honest, I'm finding presence really hard right now, and I think I'm probably not the only one. Um, so one thing we do a lot of times uh, when we begin these gatherings, our Pastor Michael invites us to bring our whole selves to this conversation. Whatever pain or fear or doubt, whatever anxiety or joy or complexity in any way, we bring it all to this space together. Um, I know one of the things I've been reading about lately is how difficult it is to concentrate in this moment. We've, we tell ourselves like these crazy stories, like I'm gonna learn seven languages or I'm gonna whatever. Um, it's hard to pay attention, or at least it is for me. My mind is a million places and my heart feels very uh, all over the place. And I go through ups and downs of emotion like crazy. And so I wanna give us just a second to bring your whole self to this moment, whatever that looks like. And one thing that helps me is to just start with your feet. Wherever your feet are, that's where you want to bring the whole rest of yourself. So start to bring your brain, start to bring your heart and your spirit, and lastly, start to bring your breath. The whole of who you are, everything you're experiencing, and it's an incredibly turbulent moment. Bring it all here with us with a couple deep breaths.
I mentioned to you that today is Palm Sunday. And uh, what that means, I'm gonna zoom out from this day just for a second to tell you about this season in the church calendar because of course it feels like there are some very specific and very moving invitations for us in this moment that come from that historical and now traditional moment. So Lent is kind of the run-up to, that's the technical term, I think that's what priests say, it's the run-up, sorry. Um, it's the approach, it's, it's the walking toward the cross and the resurrection. The, um, it's the season that precedes Easter and Lent itself is 40 days of, it's the time that commemorates or signifies to us or lets us engage in the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness and then his journey to Jerusalem and then his journey to the cross and through to resurrection. And it's a season of pain and darkness and difficulty, of feeling lost, uh, or excluded, uh, a season of pain and suffering and identifying with suffering. And so it makes sense to me that we are experiencing this pandemic right during a season of Lent. That makes sense to me. Um, none of us know what life looks like beyond this pandemic. We know with some certainty that what has existed, life as we knew it, in at least a couple big ways, that season has ended. We don't know what the future looks like and we don't even really know when that starts. Is this new normal? Next week will be there be a new new normal? What about last week's new normal? This is incredibly disorienting. We have left one shore. We have not yet reached the other. We are profoundly in the dark, foggy, difficult middle of the journey. And to be honest, as I look at the scriptures and as I look at the church calendar, that's Holy Week. What's weird though, Holy Week is, you know, Lent, difficult, darkness, wandering, wilderness. Holy Week, Jesus is betrayed by a friend. He's arrested, he's falsely accused, he's humiliated, he's beaten and tortured, ultimately put to death. This all makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me is Palm Sunday. Because Palm Sunday is a celebration in the middle of all of this confusion and darkness. And when I first, the first several times I tried to get my mind around it, it felt to me like, like, bro, read the room. Like now is not the time for a party. The disciples and Jesus' followers are celebrating. They're celebrating the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah. Jesus is riding in on a donkey. They're waving palm branches, which is a, an Eastern tradition. Any a person living in that culture would know that those are signs of victory and peace. And I don't understand why victory and peace is the thing we're doing now because I know, and all of us with the advantage of history know, what's about to come is so much worse than where they've already been. We also know that they have tremendous hope that Jesus will be a savior in a governmental political way, that he will overthrow the current oppressive and abusive uh, political systems. And we know that that's not actually the kind of saving he came to do. And so it's easy to look at this Palm Sunday kind of party environment and say, I think you're getting it wrong. I think you're hoping in the wrong thing. And I think you don't know how dark it's gonna get. And guys, I don't think it's party time. But all of a sudden I realized 
What if they're not the most foolish people? What if they're the wisest among us? What if they are choosing difficult, audacious, brave, gritty hope in the face of darkness, even though they're getting the details wrong, because they know that hope is the fuel that will sustain them through this journey of darkness? What if the joke's on us when we say, hey, I don't think it's party time? What if the celebration and the peace and the victory and the palm branches and the donkey and the ceremony, what if they know it's what they need to hold on to? I don't have any sense of what the specific thing to hope for is in this moment. I don't have a prediction. I don't have an expectation. I don't have a crystal ball. But Christian hope Christian hope is not hope in a specific outcome or agenda or expectation. It's not a destination on a map. Christian hope is hope in the person of Christ, in the promise of his presence and the promise of eventual restoration and resurrection of all things with him. So yeah, maybe they got the details a little bit wrong. Absolutely. Maybe it's going to get a lot darker before Sunday comes. But maybe their practice of hope was more an act of bravery and resistance and not one of foolishness. And so the first thing I want to invite us to, essentially what I want to talk about today is when I look at Palm Sunday and then the journey through Holy Week, I think maybe there are three essential invitations or practices for every Christian in this moment of pandemic. And the first is a muscular, gritty, brave practice of hope. A friend of mine is a peacemaker, um, one of the smartest people I know, also one of the kindest. His name is Todd Dethridge, and um, he does difficult work, particularly in the Middle East. And when people ask him, do you have hope for the peace process in the Middle East? He says, hope is not a feeling. Hope is what we do. Hope is what we do. And so I want to encourage every one of us to develop or continue practicing a robust, gritty, muscular, brave practice of hope. Not when it's easy, but when it's hard. Not when it feels light, but when it feels dark. Because I think it might be the fuel that we need to get through the darkness. And again, not hope in our own ability to see our way through this. Not hope like a magic spell. Not hope with a particular agenda or map or outcome or expectation. Hope in the person of Christ and the promise of his presence and restoration. When I think about how to do that, um, I think about it happens in quiet and it happens in connection. It happens when you get quiet enough to remind yourself and let God remind you who he is and what he does. And it happens when you hear the voices of people you love, when you share stories together, when you walk together through life and walking together looks really different right now. I have never been on so many Zooms or FaceTimes. I'm like, not. I'm totally not a phone person. My friends know this. I'm spending hours a week now on not just phones, but like FaceTimes and screens and video. And I'm so thankful for that. That's a way of cultivating hope. And it's a way of sharing hope. And it multiplies and it's contagious. So make sure, recover your sense of hope in quiet and recover your sense of hope in connection. And this is a responsibility for all of us. 
It's not an option. It's a requirement to get through the darkness. But Palm Sunday, outside of its context, doesn't make sense. And its context is, again, they call it a triumphal entry, but what we know through the lens of history looking back, this is a death march. This is a profoundly painful, painful for Jesus, obviously, but how disillusioning and heartbreaking for his disciples, for his followers, for his family, for his dear friends, for his mother. They are suffering as they watch him suffer. So the second invitation that I see kind of in this Holy Week landscape is the practice of lament. So the practice of hope and the practice of lament. And it's easy um, on the surface to think that they're opposites. Hope and lament are opposites. I actually think they're sisters. I think they're from the same impulse, a brave willingness to articulate reality, the reality that we have a saving Christ that resurrection is coming, that the restoration of all things is a promise that we believe God will keep. And the reality that life is extremely um, unpredictable and painful, that there is a sense of loss and grief and instability in our lives, in their lives that week, and in our lives right now. And so practicing hope and lament, um, I like to think about it almost like a dance between them. If uh, I think one of the ways that we could walk well through this difficult season is in an ongoing alternating dance between the practice of hope and the practice of lament. Because again, I think they're sisters, not opposites. They're both brave ways of facing and articulating reality. And so lament, you know, one way to look at it is it's, it's grief, it's mourning, it's crying out for help. The thing that makes grief, uh, that makes um, lament a spiritual practice separate from grieving or mourning is that we do it in the presence of Christ. You're not alone in your loss. You're not alone in your pain. You're not going to be crushed by the weight of your own grief or fear because the, the promise of Christ's presence walks you through the deepest valleys, even the valley of the shadow of death. The practice of lament is what keeps us from pretending everything's fine. It gives us a safe place to pour out our anguish, our fear, our anxiety, our nightmares, the things we're holding inside, the things that we're afraid of that we don't even want to articulate, maybe to the people in our home. Lament is a safe space for all of the darkness inside us to bubble out into the loving hands of a Christ who keeps his promises. And then that third kind of undergirding invitation, I've been talking about it the whole time, awareness of presence. I think I've told you this story actually before. Um, I spoke at church maybe almost a year ago and I told you the story and I'm so sorry, I'm gonna tell it to you again because I love it so much and it matters so much to me in this moment. One of the great gifts in my life when we first moved to New York is I began to see a woman for spiritual direction. She was a priest. Her name was Barbara. She'd been serving as a priest in New York City for more than 40 years. And the first six months of our time in New York, I met with her once a month, and they were her last 
six months as a priest in New York. At the end of those six months, she moved away to be near her, nearer to her grandkids and great-grandkids. But those six months were sort of a sacred time for me to learn from a woman who knew a city and a tradition and a depth of spirituality that I was just starting to learn about. She was such a useful magnificent guide for me, both in terms of the city and in terms of my own spirituality. And one of the things that she told me, probably the most important thing that she told me, we were talking about um, the symbols of our faith. You know, the, the cross and the crucifix were not used right around the historical time of Jesus' death and resur resurrection. They were developed much later in early Christianity, a couple centuries later. But she was saying, you know, it's interesting. It's not a symbol of triumph. It's not a symbol of celebration. It's not like you're wearing a little empty tomb around your neck or whatever. Whatever the symbol would be of like, we did it. It's amazing. She said the cross is not a symbol of triumph. The cross is a symbol of solidarity. What it says to every one of us is you are not alone. And the sacred presence of Christ knows suffering every bit as well as you do. Christ suffered in loneliness. He wandered in the wilderness. He wrestled through his call from his father. He was betrayed by his best friends. He was misunderstood by the people around him. He was falsely accused, arrested, beaten, humiliated, tortured, and then publicly executed like a common criminal. There is not a moment of pain or heartache that any of us will face in this lifetime, that he does not have the capacity to walk with us through. You are not alone. You are never alone and you never will be. The promise of Christ's presence is one that he has kept through centuries around the globe for all of us and still in this moment now. So the invitation again, that Palm Sunday and Holy Week gives us, and I think the moment that we find ourselves in, you can look at those two a little bit together. Here are the invitations. A brave practice of hope, a similarly brave practice of lament, both undergirded and grounded by the ongoing awareness of the presence of Christ and the promise of resurrection and restoration, not now, not yet, but one that we can hold on to hope for the future. Again, I don't know the future, and I'm not going to make grand predictions about exactly how this is going to look, but I am going to hold on to hope for restoration and resurrection for the presence of Christ for all of us. There was a scene in a movie that I saw recently that we loved. Um, my 13-year-old, our 13-year-old Henry, is a major movie guy, and um, Taika Waititi is one of his favorite filmmakers. And so we saw Jojo Rabbit, and we saw it in the theater, and then we saw it later at home, and we just absolutely loved it. And one of the ongoing themes through the movie, um, Scarlett Johansson, who plays uh, Jojo Rabbit's mom, it's in wartime Germany. And an ongoing theme, Scarlett Johansson, Jojo's mom, um, at the most inopportune times, she keeps dancing. She dances when they're out for a walk, and she dances in the living room. And 
at a certain point he says something to her like, why do you dance? Wartime is no time for dancing. And she said, I dance because you dance when you're free. And you dance because you believe that you're going to be free. And I don't think I got that quote just exactly right, but I thought about that moment. And this is not a war, but it's not entirely dissimilar. This is a moment of great uncertainty and danger for many of us. And so I thought about that line. And then, of course, I, you know, what's what I do? I'm a writer. I researched it. And I read a really beautiful article and it said, that's not just a scene about that woman and that time. There is a Jewish tradition that goes all the way back through the, through the Old Testament that we dance to show not even that we are free, but that, that we will be free. We dance even though we have not yet experienced victory, we will. Essentially, maybe that's Palm Sunday. We will wave palm branches and honor our Savior even though it's not yet time for victory, even though we can't yet see what triumph or salvation or resurrection or restoration are going to look like, maybe it's out of a deep and brave sense of hope. And so my invitation to you, the last one, is keep dancing. Whatever that means. I mean it on a really silly level. Um, our family's doing a lot of mandatory dance parties right now when we're all cranky and distance learning is just like a tech nightmare. Uh, please tell me that's happening for you sometimes too. Everybody stop, mandatory dance time. But on a much deeper level, keep dancing. Keep practicing Palm Sunday. Keep being willing to get your hopes up, even though you might not know the exact ending of this story because none of us do. Be willing to look silly. Be willing to look a little foolish. Be willing to practice muscular, brave hope in the face of the coming darkness. That's what it means to have hope in the person of Christ and in the promise of resurrection to come. A couple things I want to share with you, if this is helpful for you. There are two podcasts and um, a book and a poem and a song, and I'm just going to name them real quickly, and then we'll link to them sometime. Um, Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking You, especially the um, episode on comparative suffering. It's really valuable and timely right now. Aaron, my husband, has a podcast, and it's about uh, practices for the pandemic, and there's a specific practice through lament that's been really valuable for me. I would encourage you. Uh, it's the Eternal Current Podcast, Practices for the Pandemic. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor's book, Learning to Walk in the Dark. She is one of the finest and most significant voices writing right now. And her, her books have been a guide to me in so many different um, seasons. The Brilliance has a song called The Gravity of Love. Uh, David and Kate know that this is one of my favorite songs in all the world, and it feels so timely and valuable right now. We are being held together, even when it doesn't feel like it, even across the distance, even in the uncertainty, by the gravity of love. And then lastly, um, T.S. Eliot's four quartets, especially East Coker. He wrote them in 1940, uh, right at the tail end of the season that they called, you know, Entre la Guerre, Between the Two World Wars. That's when most of his poetry was written. And there's a lot of Good Friday imagery. I would encourage you to read it. As we approach Good Friday, it is um, dark and beautiful and challenging. And it's a lot about grief and isolation. And so um, it has been an honor to share this time with you. Be well, be safe, you are loved.